Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Like I said, today we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, it's called Uncommon Sense. And so I think we know what common sense is, theoretically. So you guys have all practiced common sense by being here today. This is a good thing. This is a rational thing. So common sense is, is sort of the, the knowledge that we have in order to navigate everyday situations. And so you made it here. And by looking out at you, um, you practiced common sense of how you dressed. You didn't wear an outfit that you would normally wear to the beach. You didn't wear your bathing suit. You wore church-appropriate clothing for the most part. I'm not sure about the youth department, but that's another question. But you guys have done a good job. You've practiced common sense. And so throughout the day, you will probably practice common sense, and you won't even realize it because it's sort of intuitive to you. You understand how things work. And those moments when you don't practice common sense um, are pretty uncomfortable, sometimes laughable. And so one of my favorite moments of someone having um, or not having common sense was a politician I saw. This was uh, over a decade ago. And it was a uh, congressperson who they were having this debate about Guam and whether they should put um, more uh, a Navy base over there. I think there was like 8,000 more people. And, and they went through this cross-examination and he was asking this question. This was his primary concern. This is a congressperson. His primary concern was if we put that many people on Guam, which is a small island, will it tip over? <laughs> if you don't know why that's funny... We'll talk later because that, his concern was, well, if we put it small and then we put that many on one side, do you think that thing's going to turn upside down? Nah, I think you're missing a little common sense there. And it's not just this guy. I think all of us at some point, we miss the big idea. We miss the, the common sense. We, 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 as a culture, seem to be in a crisis of common sense. I came across this clip of Joe Rogan and Bill Mayer, who both are not believers. And um, they said, you know, just imagine things 20 years ago. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle that you were on. There were certain things that we held as common sense. For example, uh, spending trillions of dollars that we don't have is a bad idea. Men getting pregnant is impossible. Women, uh, we shouldn't abolish um, the police and looting should be illegal. He said those were things that everybody had that they just believed was common sense. And yet somehow we don't have those things anymore. And so his conclusion was, there is a real hunger for common sense these days. And so here's the question, how do we get our common sense back? Is it through technology? Is it through more education? Is it through economics? Is it through, maybe it's looking within. Maybe there's this wisdom within us. I would argue that we've been trying all of those things for a couple hundred years now, and it has not gotten us any closer to a common sense uh, uh, approach of life. Recently, I've been seeing um, people who are not religious or at least not Christian, have taken a new, um, maybe a second look at Scripture. Because as they're looking at the world and they're going, okay, we're missing something. We're missing some common sense. We're missing wisdom. Maybe we should go back to the place that for thousands of years people have said, this book is full of wisdom. And so they're looking at it going, maybe the answers were here all along. We've been looking for answers in all the wrong places. They've been here this entire time. And so that's what we're going to be doing. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at one specific book that's known for its wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be looking at what it has to say about different arenas of our life, in our relationships, in our finances, 
and gender roles and parenting. And uh, if you don't know anything about this book, the book of Proverbs was written by a guy named King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was the son of King David, ruled over Israel. And God came to him and said, I'm going to give you one request. I'm going to grant you one wish. What is it going to be? And Solomon says, instead of money, instead of women, instead of uh, fame, I, I want wisdom. God thinks that's a good request, and so he grants it to him. Up until that time, he's the wisest man ever to live. And so he starts writing down some of the observations he makes about life and some of the wisdom that he has accumulated. And so I'm going to have three simple questions I want to ask today as we set up this series. Is What is wisdom? How do we get it? And how do we live it? All right, three very simple questions. What is wisdom? How do we get it? How do we live it? First one, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the art or skill of living well or doing life well. So there's different parts of this. There's the, the knowing, the doing, and then there's the, the right and the good and the beautiful. So let's start with the first one, the knowing. How do we know certain things? Now, if you're into philosophy, there's this whole area called epistemology in which you try to, okay, how do we, how do we know things? Is it through observation? Is it through someone teaching us? Is it through experience? Is it through studying? Is it through, and all of those things are ways that we can know things. And there's lots of different truths that we can know. We can know moral truths. We can know scientific truths. We can know theological truths. We can know relational truths. But having knowledge is not enough to have wisdom. There's something deeper that, so you have to have that, that's a bare minimum, but there's also something else that you have to be able to, and it's almost hard to explain, you have to be able to read between the lines of life. Like you have to be able to have insight and foresight into how reality works. So recently my wife um, made me go to, what are, they're called an escape room, maybe you've heard of these things, very strange, very strange. They put you in a room, they lock the door and they say, figure out how to get out. I'm like, That's, we paid for this? Okay. And so they, they put us in this escape room and it's with uh, some of our friends and all of them have been to an escape room, I have not. And so immediately they walk in and they start looking at things like, what is this? Oh, what does this broom do? What do you think? I'm like, it sweeps the floor. What do you think a broom does? Like, and, you know, and they're looking at all these clues and they're everybody. And here's what I realized. No one stopped to explain anything to me. And so for 45 minutes, I just sat there and I watched everybody have a great time. And so I'm watching and they're running around. But here's what I realized. When it came to this game, they had a wisdom that I didn't have. They had insight into here's the rules, how, here's how it works, here's how it's worked in the past, here's kind of how we've fixed it, and here's where we're going to end up. And, so they, and they're going crazy and they're figuring out they had a wisdom about it that I didn't have. And I think having wisdom in life is about seeing things that people don't see, things that may not be obvious, an insight, a foresight into the way that the world works. There's also this a, a part of doing, is you have to not just know, but you have to um, act on the knowledge or the insight that you have. Proverbs 16, 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? He says that wisdom is actually the most valuable thing in the world. It's more important than any of the money that you can have, and the success, the fame. All of that is nowhere near as important as wisdom is. When I read that, the first person that I thought of was Elon Musk. Because he is a person that has more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime. And he's clearly a very intelligent person. But here's the question. Is he wise? No, I have no problems with him. I find him very interesting. But is he a wise person? I would argue no. He's not a wise person. Because as of, uh, as of today, he's had three different wives and ten children by those three wives, and he hasn't stopped yet. I would say, mm, he's rich, he's very smart, he's famous, but is he wise? I don't think so. Because he doesn't seem to be making wise choices. 
Wisdom is the thing that helps you make decisions, especially decisions that there is no clear right and wrong. Most of the decisions that we make, even the most important decisions that we're going to make, it's not an obvious choice what we should do. There's not like a clear, okay, we know that we're supposed to, no. It's more like, okay, what job am I supposed to take? Where am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to buy that? Are my kids supposed to have that? Are we supposed to go there? All of those questions oftentimes don't have a clear right or wrong answer. It takes wisdom in order to know what you should do. So Solomon spends a lot of time in this book um, talking about what wisdom is. And the way he does that is he compares people who are wise and unwise. And he has three different characters or, or traits that he says, that the, the three people that are unwise. The first one is what he calls the simple. In Proverbs 7, he tells this story. And he says, I'm, one day I'm looking out the window and I'm watching this young man walk down the street and he is walking towards her house. Her, you know, that house. The house in which that lady who is married but not faithful to her husband lives. And as he's heading to that house, she opens the door and she is dressed in, well, not much. And she kisses him and greets him and says, I have just gone to church. I have emptied out my sin bucket and I'm ready to fill it up again. Why don't you come on in? And so she invites him in. And he is excited. He thinks this is going to be incredible. But here is Solomon's insight. He says, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. He's simple. He doesn't know. He doesn't know any better. I, I, I saw a documentary years ago. And I, I don't know why I remember this. I don't even know why I saw this documentary. And I watched it again this week just to make sure I got it right. But it was about um, modern day slaughterhouses. Yeah, fascinating things. You guys should watch it. It's great. And there's one lady who um, has become an expert in the field. She's well known and she's redeveloped what these look like. And here is her insight. She said, what would happen is we would go and we'd wrangle these cows and they would get all anxious and all worried and then we'd end up slaughtering them. And because of this adrenaline rush and through that whole process, it would end up making the meat tough. And so she developed this thing where there's like a chute that they would walk through, single file, and it would wind back and forth, and the, the sides would be tall so they couldn't see outside of it, and they just thought they're out for a nice stroll. And at the end of this maze, there would be a light, and as they would head towards, for some reason, they're attracted to the light, and as they would head towards the light, there would be this machine that would come and that would pick them up, and they would feel light as a feather. It's almost like going to the spa. And they're just heading towards the light, just thinking, what a beautiful day. Maybe even give them a little massage on the way there. And as they're just heading just to the light, there is this bolt gun that comes out, hits them directly between the eyes, and they're dead. That's kind of the picture, right? Is you think this is awesome. We're on a spa day. We're just relaxed. This is great. And Solomon goes, you don't understand. You're heading towards death right now. He says, her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. See, the simple are unwise because they simply don't know any better. They haven't had the time or the experience to know what is wise and unwise. Because that's what wisdom takes. It takes time and experience. Think about it. When you think of a wise person, what is the picture that comes into your mind? Probably someone who is older, has gray hair, has had a lot of life experience. Why do we call them wisdom teeth? Because they're the last ones to develop. They take a while to get there. Is we know that wisdom is going to take time and experience. 
And it's why we as parents, we had this conversation on the way to church this morning. I don't know why we always have the biggest fights on the way to church. I don't know if this happens in your house or not. It happens in ours every Sunday. Um, and I remind my wife, hey, we're, you know, we're pastors. We're going to, you know, see them. not cuss. <laughs> no, um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She cusses. I don't. Um, no, that's not true. But one of the things that I, uh, I said to my kids today is I go, how old are you? And like oldest one's like 10, you know, it's eight, and the other one's just, you know, picking his nose so we don't even worry about him. And so I go, look, do you think I might have a little bit more knowledge about the world than you? Do you think I might have a little bit more insight? We call it, as we get older, we call it wisdom. Do you think I might have a little bit more wisdom than you? And they just kind of quietly, you don't know what you're talking about, whatever. Because I've lived longer than you. I've had more time and experience on this earth, and so I have more wisdom than you do. I haven't always been like this, and there's areas of my life that I clearly do not have wisdom. I was thinking about when I first started working on uh, old cars. That's kind of my, my pastime, my hobby. And no one was there to teach me. My dad's not into it, and I don't know. Maybe I was just too stubborn to ask for help, and I just like to learn on my own. And so as I was working at it, I remember I worked on my truck one time, and I needed to take to a shop to get, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what I needed to get done on it. And so I jump on the freeway, and my wife is following behind me because she needs to pick me up. And as I am getting into the fast lane, all of a sudden I feel the back end of my truck hit the ground. I see sparks flying, and I see one of my wheels continuing on down the freeway. And so I had to pull off to the side and chase down my tire eventually. My wife is freaking out because she thinks I'm going to die. And I learned something. Is there's these things called torque wrenches, and you've got to torque the wheels down to a certain pound for torque. And I didn't know. I thought, nah, I don't know. It seems tight enough to me. I was simple. I didn't have enough time or experience to understand wisdom in how to put this car back together. Well, that's true of people who are simple, is they just haven't lived long enough to know any better. Second category is the fool. He says this, he says, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. So if you've ever looked back on your life and you've told a story of, okay, well, look, I'm not proud of this. It's a little embarrassing. I know I shouldn't have, but it was really fun. It might be an indication you're a fool. A fool flaunts his folly. Or if you've ever begun a story with, okay, I had way too much to drink. I don't really remember all of it. You might be a fool. Now, here's my favorite one. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. And you go, ugh, that's gross. Who would return to its vomit? Well, I don't know. You dated someone like that already, and how did it work out last time? Oh, you're dating another person, just like the last person. You saw your parents go down this path. You saw how it ended for them, but yet here you go, heading down the same path. It's almost as if you were like a fool heading back to their vomit. I didn't write this, by the way. This is Solomon. If you're like, that's gross, that's immature, it's a, he's wise, I'm not. Okay. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Now, this is really what's at the heart of being a fool, is nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you what the right, no, 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 no. You got your own opinions. Don't try to change me. Don't try to get defensive. Don't try to correct me. I am stubborn. I am not interested in learning or changing. A simple doesn't know, but the fool doesn't care, or at least care to learn. So the, the simple, they're not aware of how the world works, what is right and what is wrong, because they're still learning. But the fool, they know better. They just don't care to do otherwise. I have a child out of my three that is the epitome of this person. I won't embarrass him and tell you his name, but he might be my third and five years old. And so this child 
It's not a lack of information. It's not like he doesn't know and he's like, oops, I shouldn't have done that. He'll look you in the face, he'll tell you what he should do, and then go do the opposite thing. It's a conversation we have on a daily basis. I asked Amy, I said, what's the most recent example of him doing something he knows he should not do? She reminded me. Recently, he has started this thing where um, he's in school and he has learned that if he, could, if he goes to the nurse's office and says, my tummy hurts, then they will call us and we will have to come pick him up. And so he did this a couple weeks ago. We pick him up and Amy brings him home and... Um, when he walks in the front door and I greet him there, he doesn't look like he has a tummy ache. He looks like he's full of smiles and giggles. And I said, what is going on here? And he said, I just needed a couple Funyuns and then my tummy felt better. I said, wow, Funyuns. I didn't know that that was a cure to stomach ache. <laughs> Clearly, he was lying. And so I said, buddy, you cannot do this. You can't go up to the nurse office. You can't say that your tummy hurts so that you can come home and play games without your brother and sister. It's just not going to work. He says, okay, dad, I won't do it again. I promise. Okay, we're good. I get a phone call. The next week, it's the nurse. Yeah, he's here. He's got a tummy ache. He says he needs to go home. I said, will you put him on the phone for me? She's like, what? I go, give him the phone. Uh, Hi, Dad. Uh, What's up? I go, hey, can can you tell me what's wrong? He goes, oh, my head hurts so bad. And I go, I got you. You told her it was your stomach. Now it's your head. I knew it, you little liar. And he's like, ooh, it moved up. It moved up, Dad. It moved up. And I go, go back to class. And he's kind of like, all right, I'll see you in a couple hours. And I'm like, all right, bye. He knows what he should do, and he just doesn't do it. And this is true of all of us. There's all, you can think of an area in your life right now where you go, I know I should. <laughs> I know I shouldn't. I know I should probably get to the gym. I know I should eat healthy. I know I should probably stop spending so much. I I know that I should change my schedule. I know that my marriage probably could use some help. I know what I should do, but I don't do those things. It's true of all of us. It's an indication that we're being fools, at least in one area of our life. And sometimes what we'll do is we don't want to admit that we're fools, and so what we'll try to do is we'll make excuses. Well, look, I I get it. I should do those things. And then, here's my favorite thing. We find someone who is the exception to the rule, and we point to them, and we go, that's me, right? Like, look, he's 95 years old, and he has never exercised, and he has eaten bad his entire life. And look, he's 95. And you know why he's, you know his name? You know who he is? He's the only person who hasn't died yet. All of the other people are dead who did those things. That's why you know who he is. Or the person who never saved any money, spent all the time and retired as a millionaire. You go, well, look, it worked out for them. And they go, yeah, because everybody else is broke. You don't, know, you don't see all the countless people who didn't work out for. It's because we don't want to admit that we're being fools. He finishes and he says, but a wise man listens to advice. See, what a wise person does is they instead say, I don't know, but I'm going to find somebody who does. It's okay to not know. It's what you do with that unknowing. It's are you going to continue to be simple or are you going to be a fool? Solomon goes a little bit further. He says in Proverbs 13, 12, he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So he says, it's not even enough not to be a fool yourself. You don't even want to walk and do life with fools. Like if your life is intertwined with a foolish person, guess what's going to happen? You're either going to become a fool yourself, likely, or you're going to experience the consequences of their foolish behavior. Walking with someone, doing life with someone who is a fool, is kind of like riding shotgun with a drunk driver. Well, I haven't been drinking. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yes, but you're still going to experience the consequences of riding along with a fool. Third person is the mocker. And this is the most extreme example of an unwise person. This is a person... um, 
like the fool who knows what they should do but doesn't want to do it and then wants to mock other people who do want to do what is right or good. These are the folks that are oftentimes cynical and condescending, critical people in our lives. It, it feels like whenever we're talking to them, we're on the defense. We're always walking on eggshells. We're always trying to, they're always questioning us. Like, wait, you, you go to church? Ugh, you believe that old stuff? Don't tell me you give them any money. Uh, oh my, you're gonna wait until you're married? What do you mean you can't do the business deal? These are people who know what they should do, but they not only don't want to do it, they don't want you to do it either. And so here's what he says about the mocker. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. His advice when it comes to people like this is run away from them. Don't Don't engage. Because it's not going to help. And he says, this is the sad ending. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none. At some point, they are going to hit this decision that they're going to have to make. And it's going to require wisdom. But because they've rejected it for so long, they're not only going to be able to not find it, they won't recognize it even if they do. And so you don't want to be around when that happens. Second question, how do we get wisdom? Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So in this passage, and we've seen it in, in previous ones, as Solomon talks about life as a metaphor, and he says it's sort of like a journey. It's a path that we are all on. And like any good thing in life, there's not going to be a quick fix. There's not going to be a shortcut. It's going to be one step after another, after another, after another. And we don't like this. We like instant gratification. We want to snap our fingers and I'm there. But he says, no, that's not how this is going to work. Just like when it comes to your marriage, it's going to be every single day, the habits and the disciplines that you have in your daily life is going to build your marriage. Just like when you want to save for retirement, you don't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to write a check, put it in my retirement, and I'm done. No, it's every paycheck. I just put a little bit more and a little bit more. He says wisdom is the same thing. It is going to be through these daily disciplines, the small choices and decisions and habits that we have in our life that continue to shape and form us to eventually we become wise people. So there's two guiding principles here. First one's obvious, is you have to know God. Do not forget my teaching. This word here for teaching is Torah, which is God's law. And he says that we have to know God's law because if God is the source of wisdom, then knowing God means that we're going to know wisdom. And how, how do we know God? How does he communicate to us? Well, the first one is obvious, is through the scripture. But also it's through prayer, it's through people, and it's through providence. And so when I was uh, thinking about some of the choices that I've made that have had the biggest impact in my life, um, oftentimes there were things that, they, they, that I needed wisdom and there's a few times in which it was very clear that God provided. So the most obvious one for me was uh, when I was a teenager in high school, I was trying to decide where I was going to go to college. And, um, and, and so I had these three or four schools that I was interested in, and, and for some reason they were interested in me going there. And so I, I went and I took visits at all of them, and I checked out the campuses and all that kind of stuff. And, and there wasn't a bad choice out of all of them. It wasn't like, okay, this one's got it. And they were all good schools. They were all about ministry. And so as I was praying about where I should go, I said, okay, God, give me clarity on this. What do you want me to do? And I remember walking onto the school that I eventually ended up on, and it wasn't my first or even my second choice, but I went there and I went, God, is this what you want me to do? Because this, this feels different. 
And so if this is, will you open up the right doors? Will you providentially show up and make sure the circumstances align? Because I just want to do what you want me to do. Now, I didn't understand what was hanging in the balance because it wasn't just an education that was hanging in the balance. It was a spiritual formation that was hanging in the balance, but also it's where I would meet Amy and that would change the direction of my life. And so I had to understand, well, what does God's word say? Have I prayed about it? What is God trying to tell me? Is there people? I had to seek wise counsel and people who talked, of course, was my father. What do you think about this? And then providence. Okay, open and close the right doors. He says, you must keep my commands in your heart. It has more to, to do with just understanding, having some kind of intellectual knowledge. Of course, we have to have that, but it moves from our head into our hearts. It's, it begins to, to speak to us at a soul level. We begin meditating on his word and allowing it to sink deep into our hearts. And then it says, in all your ways, submit to him. So it goes from our head to our hearts, into our hands. We put it into practice, the things that we're learning. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. So here's what this looks like. He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. So that, that's a truth that we know through the scriptures. And hopefully it becomes a truth that through worship and through meditating on the scriptures, we start to understand it, we start to live it out in our lives. And so what if we just took that one truth, that God loves us and he has a plan for us? What if we started living out that truth in our lives? How would that begin to transform us? Like if at the very center of our core is not what people think about us or the things that we can accomplish, that's not where we find our value and our worth and our meaning, but instead we are just satisfied in the fact that God knows us, loves us, and has a plan for us. Like we truly believe that. How would our lives begin to look differently? I think that this would start to make us much wiser people. Because the, the people that I know that are wise, whenever they have a difficult decision they have to make, they're cool under pressure. They have like this non-anxious presence in which nothing's gonna rattle them. They're secure in who they are. And so whatever the decision they have to make, they're not too worked up. They take it serious, but they're, they're still at peace. Well, it's because they understand their identity first and that whatever the decision that has to be made isn't gonna shake that. One of the people that I think about is my grandfather. Both of my grandfathers, both are gone now, but very wise men uh, who followed the Lord. And I think about a time in which, and I've heard this story over and over again in my family, when my grandfather was offered an opportunity to have a, a much higher paying job. He'd worked at the same company for decades, and they kept coming to him and say, hey, you're in this middle position. Do you want to have a promotion? Because we can get you. But every time they would offer a promotion, it was, he had to uproot his family and take him to a different city. And after prayer... And I would say a lot of wisdom, he would decline. And it made no sense to anybody around him. Wait a minute, you would get more money, you'd have a better position, you would be able to do a lot more. Why do you keep saying no to this? And he eventually said, well, because here's the wise thing for me to do, is stay put where I'm at because this is where my kids are plugged into the local church. It's a community that I have been involved in for it's ended up being 50 years we're doing life together. And so to have a couple more bucks or a better title is not wisdom. It's to have my kids belong to this church until they are grown and then they can go into, and all of them are still in church to this day. All of them are either elders or pastors because they said, look, this is what wisdom looks like. It's not, and for most people, they look at it and they go, what are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm thinking a bigger picture here. I'm not asking What's well, going to be good for me? I'm asking, what is the wise thing to do here? Continues on. He says, um, it will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. 
See, when we're rooted in God's word and we're praying and we're worshiping and we're growing in the knowledge of him and it really sinks down, what ends up happening is we have this peace beyond understanding. We start seeing the world not through our own eyes, but through Jesus' eyes. See, that's what it means to be a Christian, by the way. To be a Christian means I've given my life over to you. You're now in control. And so I want to see myself and the rest of the world the way that you see it. I don't want to see things from my perspective anymore because it's limited and it's nasty. I want to see things the way that you see things. I think we get a little bit of insight. Um, those of us who have been married for you know, a significant amount of time, and um, I said uh, last night I said 15 years, sorry, 14 years. My wife corrected me. I've been married, um, been together for, I think, 18. And some of you guys have been together um, with your spouse much longer than that. But this weird thing happens as you spend more and more time together. Is you actually have less small talk. And you don't even have to discuss half the things that come up. Like, we'll be driving in the car, and we won't have to talk about things. Or we'll be at a party hanging out with people, and someone will say something, and she'll look at me, and I'll go, yeah, no, I know. No, I know. I totally know. Because, like, you, kinda, you can start to see things. The more time you spend together, you start to see things from their perspective. And then your perspective starts to kind of become the same, where you go, yeah, I see the world the same way that you see the world. And so we don't even have to discuss all the little things anymore, because it's like, we're in agreement. You get it. I get it. Well, that's what happens as we spend more time with God. Is it begins to change our perspective. Instead of seeing things the way that we see them, we see things the way that Jesus sees them. And then we start to gain wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Now this is the part that might be a little surprising. It's okay, know God, totally makes sense. But here's the second part. Know yourself. And I don't mean this in like a new agey, like, hey, man, like, just go discover yourself, dude. It's like a journey within. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. That's not what I'm talking about. What he's saying here is know who you are and all of your limitations. Be able to admit to yourself and to the world who you are. So here's the beginning of wisdom is one, knowing God, but the other is understanding that you are a fool. Because the people who understand they are fools, they are open to the path of wisdom, but the people who think that they are wise, they are going to continue to be fools. Remember, wisdom is about knowing reality. It's about seeing things from God's perspective. And that includes being able to see yourself clearly. Being able to look into the human heart first and understand how broken and messed up. It says here that we need to shun evil. Why? Because we love it. We love the darkness. We love our sin because we are broken people. And so we first have to be able to be willing to see ourselves as people who are broken. I had a seminary professor on the last day of class. He was praying for all of us who were about to go into ministry. And I don't remember much from his class, to be honest, but I do remember this prayer because it was very interesting. His prayer was, Lord, I pray that none of these pastors would ever become famous, that they would just be faithful. I pray that no one ever knows their name except for maybe the people in their congregation, that the world would never know who they are. <laughs> I walked away like, man, he does not expect much from us, I think. I don't know. No, no, he had wisdom because he understands the human heart. He understands what is good for us and what is not. And he goes, I don't want these guys to ever experience that because it will destroy them. He, he understood who we are. But we also have to understand who we are as individuals, not just as people, but we have to be able to look at ourselves and go, I don't want to admit it, but there are moments when I surprise myself because there's some anger that comes out. There's some bitterness. There's some disappointment. As I look into there, it's not pure. It's not holy. It's pretty dark down in there. 
And the only people that I think are able to do this, because this is a self-awareness that most people don't have and are unwilling to have, to be able to truly look into their own hearts. Because to do that, you have to have such, such a security in your identity and your value that you're willing to admit how broken you are. And the only way that you can have that kind of value and that kind of worth is if it's found in something outside of yourself. That's why the first thing is most important is you gotta know God and know that your relationship with him is secure. No matter your brokenness, in fact, it's because of your brokenness that you're in a relationship with him and you found all your value and your meaning and your worth in that, that then you can be real with yourself and go, okay, I'm a mess and I'm gonna need some help. I mean, I, I can't even trust my intuition. That's how broken I am. But if you're unwilling to do that, you'll just continue to repress and deny and ignore all the stuff that's happening within your heart because it would break you to admit it. Last question, how do we live out this wisdom? In the coming weeks, we're gonna be looking at very specific arenas of our life and how we can apply this wisdom to it. But let me give you just a really simple way to walk out this week in thinking about it. When I was a youth pastor, I used to um, do a series every year from a book by Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever. And in it, he says, we have to stop asking the question, is it right or wrong? But we have to begin asking, is it wise? What is the wise thing for me to do? That's what's gonna help us make better, better decisions. And he gives us three qualifications. He says, first one is, in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing for me to do? So he points out all of us have a unique history. My past experiences and yours are different. And so what is wise for me may not be wise for you and vice versa. So for example, is it wise to have a glass of wine at dinner? Well, I don't know. Tell me about your past experiences with alcohol. Because if you're in rehab, it's not a wise thing for you to do. So what's wise for you may not be wise for me based on our past experiences. In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? So see, each, each uh, life is made up of different seasons, all of us find ourselves in different seasons. So what is wise for one season may not be wise for another season. So for example, um, just recently, Amy has gone back to work full time. Because up until that point, we've had children at home and she said, and, and I agreed, is look, the wise thing for me to do right now is to work part time because we have kids at home. And so I wanna raise these kids. I wanna make sure that I get to be at home with them. Now, I'm not saying this is what every mom should do. No, no, this is for us in our life in that season. Here's the wise thing for us to do. And then that season changed. They went off to school and we went, okay, now the wise thing is we have to actually pay our bills. And so let's get back to work, okay? Now, but it changes depending upon the season that we find ourselves in. And then finally, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? So maybe one of the things that you would like to do in the future is purchase a home. And so there's a lot of savings that's gonna take place, but the other thing is you also want a new car. Well, in light of what I hope to do in the future, what is the wise thing for me to do? Well, it's probably gonna be to wait off on this car so that I can realize this dream in the future. So as we walk out here today and as we go into the coming weeks, I just want us to be thinking about this very simple question. What is the wise thing for me to do? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your wisdom. Lord, you didn't just give us a, a bunch of rules or even principles that we can apply to our life. Although you have done that, you gave us a person who came and embodied wisdom. And so as we continue to try to follow him and we allow him to lead us, Lord God, we just pray that the wisdom that he is would continue to consume us, that we would continue to become more like him, which means that we continue to become wise people. Lord, we thank you for 
everything that you've done in our lives, despite ourselves, you continue to bless us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Please sign up for that men's event that's coming up and the women's event, and we will see you next week. And God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.